Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 121 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 9th, 2010. We've got a really good show for you this week on the podcast. After last week of me flying solo, we got our guest back. We'll talk to uh, Dan Weber. We're trying to get a hold of Brian Fisher. We've got Coach Harvey Hyde coming up in the first segment. So we've got a lot of different guests to talk to. We also have a bunch of your questions. If you have any questions or comments, always drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address so after a one-week hiatus we have coach harvey hyde back on the line coach how you doing sir i'm doing great uh thank you very much and i'm looking forward to today's broadcast yeah it should be a good one and i just wanted to thank our sponsor southern california tickets sctickets.com 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for concerts sport events theater the Lakers look like they might be coming back to Los Angeles unless they sweep in Boston, so you can try to get tickets for that. But any kind of tickets, you got the All-Star Game coming up in Anaheim, so a lot of good stuff in Southern California. Give sctickets.com a try. And Coach, I just wanted to see how you do it. Where were you last week? Last weekend I was in Vegas, or not last weekend, but uh, Wednesday through Saturday morning I was up there for some events. They had the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame that I went to on Friday night. <clears throat> which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, they had it at the Orleans Arena. And the rest of the time I was uh, going around seeing people, meeting people. Uh, had an opportunity to talk to a lot of coaches up there. And, of course, I had a chance to have dinner with the new head football coach at UNLV. That's Bobby Hawk, who, Hauk, who used to be at uh, the University of Montana. So he's now taking over as the head football coach there at UNLV in the Mount West Conference, which... You know, it's in a situation right now where they're talking expansion. Uh, they're talking about possibly Boise State coming in. I think that's going to be a for sure. And then it looks as though they might be taking, and I'm just saying this prematurely, taking Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, uh, maybe even Fresno State, uh, maybe New Mexico State or Utah State to be the Mountain West uh, Conference 16. So then they would also have 16 teams, like the Pac-10's talking about and the Big Ten's talking about and the Southeastern Conference talking about. And maybe then they would be an automatic BCS Bowl uh, bid team, which I think they would be. Wow, that is really interesting. We we had uh, we put up a mini war room today on USAFootball.com, and one of the, we talked about sanction stuff, but we also talked about expansion. That's one aspect I didn't think about. I mean, people have talked about Kansas being kind of left out in the cold. But that seems like that would be a good place for them to land. Well, it could be, too, because they need a place to go, and they're all in the same location. They would have, a, you know, two divisions, as all the conferences would, and it would put them in a position where New Mexico State, if they took them, has a rival in New Mexico. Utah State automatically, you know, fits in with the other two from Utah, which is BYU and Utah, and then Utah State would seem to be in there. And Fresno State has always been a rival, and Fresno State is – Probably, I'm just saying, probably one of the top football programs in the in the WAC currently, and uh, in other activities. So they would come into the Mountain West possibly because of the good rivalry between Fresno State and UNLV, and uh, it it could be. And now they couldn't all come in. Uh, they would be just. I think I named about eight, and I think they would only take uh, uh, se- uh, seven. So one of those wouldn't make it. Yeah, obviously, a, a team like Kansas, just with the basketball power alone, I think that's something you'd want in your conference. So that'll be interesting to see. But that's all this kind of breaking stuff going on, Coach. It'll be fun. I'll, hopefully, we all talk about the Pac-16 coming down in the future. I think it should be fun to do. I wanted to share a comment. It's, uh, I like when players' parents who listen to the show write in. This is uh, Barry Markowitz. Uh, Abe Markowitz's father was flying from Hawaii to the mainland, he was sitting next to a big Trojan fan. He was telling him all about us, telling him about the podcast. Coach Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber, Gerard, Mr. Magic Martinez, and myself. Um, 
So he was talking all about the show. So he's spreading the word, Coach, to the Trojan fans out there about the Peristyle podcast. I just want to give a shout-out to Barry and thank him for that. Well, thank you very much, Barry. And I tell you, for all of you that are out there, spread the word because you get, because you get football year-round here. I'm always football hungry, as I just talked to you about, you know, football, about what's happening, what I hear, and so on, and talking to different coaches and so on. Had a chance to talk to the Bishop Gorman coach, where Grimble's coming in, the big tight end from Bishop Gorman. And he was telling me he is currently weighing 270 pounds. Whoa. Looks like, looks like he is chiseled. He's a tremendous blocker. He says he'd be not only a great tight end, he could be an awesome offensive tackle. So this kid is really, really developed during the offseason because he played basketball, too. So now he's hit the weights, and he is really, really getting to be a physical person. And, and also his cousin is verbally committed to Galen Grimble to uh, USC. So it was great talking with the Bishop Gorman coach. Uh, had dinner with him, too, So uh, just to find out what's going on. So I, I like it when you people call in, and for all you parents that are out there, uh, all we do is give our opinion on what we think that's going on. We'd love to have you also send in questions, and uh, and we'll compare notes. That's the best way to say it. Yeah, we uh, also, Coach, we got to see uh, Randall Telfer, the uh, one of the other tight ends coming in this class. He's uh, he's on campus now working the summer workouts. He looks really, he looks really cool too. I don't think he's two hundred seventy pounds like you're saying Grimble is, but he's a good looking prospect. So more and more players are going to start showing up once they finish finals and stuff and they'll, they'll arrive on campus and by late June, most of the players should be in there. So we'll have pictures and photos and video. We actually just put up a bunch of video on uscfootball.com from Tuesday's summer workout. So if you want to see the guys throwing the football around, you can check all that stuff out. But uh, coach last week I had to go solo. I uh, just decided, you know, you were going to be out of town. I'll just do the show myself. Talking to 40 minutes into a microphone by yourself is a little more difficult than <laughs> I thought, but we got a lot of good feedback, which is cool. David wrote in. He said he liked the p- podcast a lot. He likes all the insight we provide. Um, he had a couple of questions, though. What area of USC's game, running the ball, stopping the run, penalties, turnover margin, et cetera, et cetera, is most likely to be positively affected by the reinstallment of discipline in the program? Wow. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. that. That uh, that's a, a difficult question to, to answer. Uh, uh, discipline well, is necessary for all positions because well, he pre- uh, obviously he talked about originally like Mitch Mustaine was on ESPN the other day and they asked him what's the biggest difference from Pete Carroll to Lane Kiffin, and you know his response almost without thought, according to David, was discipline. Discipline. Coach Kiffin and Coach O have brought back discipline. So I mean. I think there's good and bad with that. I mean, you know, if, if USC loses a couple of games and David writes this, that if they lose two or three of their first five games, you could say that they're playing too tight. Um, you know, when Pete Carroll lost some games, you could say, well, or were they playing too loose? But he just kind of wanted to know. I mean, there's definitely positives and negatives, but what do you think, you know, that sense of discipline, the, the, the reinstalled sense of discipline will affect this, this team? Well, you know, I always think discipline is good. I, I think kids like discipline. I know uh, my teams always like discipline. You know, it's always easier to get lightened up than it is to get tough. It just doesn't work. And I think that discipline is really necessary as far as execution, attention, having people's attention, and, and taking care of the small things that can turn into a, a giant if you don't take care of these type of things. So discipline is necessary to execute. The discipline is necessary as far as going to class. Discipline is necessary as far as knowing it's important to go to the weight room and train, and it's also important, too, on how you act off campus and how you appear as an athlete. I think it's very important that when you represent the university that you appear and you talk and you pass the eye test of people who don't know you. I think everywhere you go, you don't get a second chance at a first impression. When you get off the buses or when you're walking around campus or when you're in a classroom, sit up in your chair and take off your cap and act like you want to be there. I think all these things make a difference to an entire football program. And when you're interviewed on television or radio to speak properly and answer the question and know what's going on, and and uh, if you don't uh, feel comfortable, don't do it. Uh, I really feel this, too. I think it's necessary today, if I was back in coaching today, 
I would have someone come in from the outside and meet with my team and teach them the importance of appearance and speaking. And not only in that, but interviewing and how to react and how to uh, talk to people and how to relate to people. And that means not only parents or boosters, but to the media, to faculty, to everyone you meet, because you represent the university in everything you do. So, you know, I think discipline is, is great. I always had a lot of discipline with my teams. You know, uh, a lot of kids just don't listen. A lot of kids do listen. You can't always have 100% of, of everything, but you try to work hard in giving them the opportunity to be the best at whatever they do. And I think discipline's good. I, I think that, you know, I, I think that if you get too loose, kids take advantage of that, okay? So uh, I think discipline is good. All right, and then he had a follow-up with that, Coach. Um, you know, from on your staff, sometimes you have an enforcer, like Coach O's name seems to come up a lot of times when you're talking about focus and discipline. I know when he talked, I talked to Coach O before about, you know, the, the players, if they miss a meeting or they miss a class or something, they're, they're running with him at five in the morning or whatever it is on, on Wednesday. So he seems to be kind of like the, the cop out there or the enforcer, but who do you think would be the most responsible or who should be the most responsible when you have like a, a coach like Lane Kiffin or a, a disciplinarian like Coach O on the staff or, or, an, or an elder statesman like Monty Kiffin? Well, uh, let me tell you, uh, I, I, I used to have a period called opportunity, and it was called an opportunity to improve yourself. So obviously if you made opportunity, you needed a little help in helping yourself get along and get a little bit better. And I had a coach that did it normally, the same coach, his name was Al Tanera. And the reason he did it is so that the punishment will always be the same. What I mean, if you have different coaches do it at different times, they don't really administer the same type of punishment because they have different philosophies for different type of things that an athlete might do. That requires him to be an opportunity. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you select a coach that the kids respect because kids can get really uh, upset at this. And they've got to respect the coach, and they've got to also like the coach in order to go through these things. And when you tell a, a kid to get up at 5 o'clock and you tell him to get on the field and, and then you're going to run him and you're going to make him roll on the wet grass and do all of this and that and you're going to be screaming at him and this and that, hey, that kid's got to have respect for you. And that kid's got to know you're doing this for his best interest. Because, you know, a lot of kids would just stand up and tell you what they think about it and walk off the field. Now you really got a problem. But now you've got to make a decision. Are you going to keep this kid? What are you going to do about this situation? Because he's done it to a coach in front of other people. So I think it's really important that whoever does your enforcing of the discipline, and of course the head coach is in charge. When it gets to the head coach and he goes in the office and sits down, the head coach sort of explains the situation to him. You do this or else. But I think a coach that you have doing this type of discipline action has got to be respected yet liked by the players because it's a very difficult thing to accept when you're out there in the morning, you don't want to be there, and this guy's yelling and screaming and beating on you, not beating on you, but telling you to do different things that you really don't want to do. And other kids are maybe in the background laughing at him. So uh, uh, that's my thought on that. I always used to pick somebody that the kids liked and related to. If you take someone they didn't like in the first place and had them do that, they're not going to do it, and they're going to tell him where to go. Well, I think that's why Coach Orgeron is a perfect candidate for that because, you know, as a recruiting coordinator, he's talked to every kid, he's talked to every family, and he's really well-liked, you know. I mean, he's a, he can be a hard-ass, but he's everyone likes him. And, you know, we've told stories before where you'd see him run into former players that he that he was recruiting and didn't even get, and that the coaches and the players and the family were all really happy and, and you know, just they really enjoyed seeing him. And I think there's a genuine – he has this likable quality about him, you know, with the accent and whatever. It's just that people seem to like him. So the fact that he's this likable guy that knows everybody and has got to know everyone's family and gets to know their brothers and sisters and all that stuff, and he's the guy kind of administ administering discipline, it seems like it's a good fit. Oh, I agree with you. Uh, it's got to be that type of person, and uh, I think he does a good job at it. Not only that, he can back it up. So you certainly don't want to challenge him because he'd look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know That's what I a mean? Great point. <laughs> He's that type of guy with a great uh, type of personality. And if you want to arm wrestle him, he'll do that too. So, uh, 
I think he's a type of kid or type type of coach that players love. And I tell you, when players love you, they'll do anything for you. They'll play hard for you. They want you to win. They don't want to let you down. So it's so important that you have a relationship with all your players. And it's very important for the head coach to have a relationship with all your players. Now, even if like Lane Kiffin is the offensive coordinator on the offensive side of the ball and his dad, Monty Kiffin runs the defense with Ordron and Barry and all these guys, it's still important that Lane Kiffin has a relationship with the defensive side of the football. But there's two three parts of football, as you know, offense, defense, and special teams. So it's the responsibility of the head coach, even if you do coach one side of the football, to have a relationship with all of the players on the team, everyone. And that's something that a head coach is either good at or doesn't think it's necessary, but I think it's very necessary. All right. Well, let's, uh, thanks, David, for that question and the comments there. Matt wanted to know, how much can you take – from high school videotape coach. And he says he likes to watch the tapes they put online. We put them up on Rivals. Some players put them up on YouTube and stuff. And some kids really stand out. An example he has is Max Wittick looked better on tape, he thought, than Cody Kessler. But, like, Cody Kessler went up to that uh, Elite 11 football camp and beat everybody out. So, uh, But Ma- Max Wittick wasn't there, but he just really dominated. So how much can you take away from looking at, at tape of high school players? Well, I, I like uh, watching them in a game. I don't like watching them just throwing the football. And so I think it's important that you can throw a football, don't get me wrong, and your techniques are proper and so on. But I like to see what type of winning attitude players have and how play, teams react to them. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like uh, the two quarterbacks that SC's committed verbally. And uh, I think they're very fortunate to be able to get two quality quarterbacks like this the same year coming in. Uh, to USC. Uh, you know, obviously these quarterbacks are highly recruited. They've been evaluated not only this year, but for several years, people know who they are and so on. Uh, I think that uh, they'll compete hard against each other. They're a little bit different in size. Uh, one has a little bit quicker feet than the other. Other one does. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be, and you know, you got Eric Scoggins too, that is, is coming in too. So you're going to have three young quarterbacks at USC, and, and it's going to be quite a battle, and I think that's great. I think that's what make makes great teams, and I really think that Mitch Mustaine has really, really matured this spring because he had an opportunity to perform with great players around him, and when he had that opportunity to perform, he came through just like the spring game. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think videotapes are important. I can watch on a videotape and watch a kid and see just how good he is. Uh, but I want to watch a game. I don't want to watch a highlight film. I want to see the whole game so I can evaluate how the game goes, how he reacts. Does he stay consistent? Does he get better when the game gets close? Uh, you know, I don't like watching highlight films. I like watching the entire game when I watch it. Because, you know, when you put a highlight film together, obviously, you got to put something together that everybody looks good at. Exactly. You're not going to put one together. Uh, you know, so I like to watch the whole game or watch a kid in person, too. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Matt. And uh, one last thing, Coach, on this is from Hoover. I don't think we had a question from Hoover before, so welcome to the show, Hoover. Uh, after what you've witnessed so far this spring, what do you think is going to be the Trojans' strength on offense? It seems they could be pretty well balanced with Bradford running the ball, throwing to Ronald Johnson, maybe a few more deep balls than last season. Where do you think the strength's going to be, Coach? Well, I uh, I think the tough question today, huh? <laughs> that is a tough one. There's a lot of tough ones. That's good. We like those the, questions. It's a tough one because it all goes around the offensive line. It all depends on how mature the offensive line comes along and how good they are. Because you're not going to run the football. It's not going to be your running backs or running game unless they can block people and get off the football. And it's not going to be the passing game unless they can pass block. And if you have a running game, then you have an opportunity of throwing the football better. So I think the key is the offensive line and just how they perform and how they improve and how they stay stay healthy uh, in order to say that what is going to be the strength. Uh, I would say right now, uh, I don't think they, they are running the ball at a great consistency uh, at, at what they should be. And I think Lane Kiffin is concerned about this and will work hard on it in the fall. I would say probably the strength would be passing the football right now. 
I think they have a great group of receivers. But you can't just sit back and throw the football every down. You've got to be able to run the football. And the key, key on that is the offensive line and the, the blocking schemes and, and what we do uh, or what they do with the offensive uh, philosophy on whether they stay with a certain type of set or they want to pound the football or mix it up. See, I think you've got to be able to establish the run to keep a defense honest where they fear your running game. Because if you can get three or four yards on first down, you certainly then put the defense in a, a very difficult situation. It isn't a nickel situation or so on. And if you, you get seven yards on first down, immediately you're starting to think, uh-oh, they're going to blitz on defense, or what are they going to do? They've got to do something to stop us. Otherwise, we don't almost have a, a free down on second down where they don't know what we're going to do because we can make a first down on third down by running the football. So I think running the football is key. I think the offensive line is the key for what USC will be as far as the strength of their offense this coming year. And uh, right now, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think the whole key is the offensive line. Makes sense, Coach. But we got, we got a few months of uh, summer workouts to watch. Then fall camp kicks off in, in August, which is going to be a lot of fun. We'll be looking forward to that. It's going to be here before you know it. And then the uh, 2010 football season will be upon us. So, Coach, thanks again for uh, joining us. I know you got. A, hope you had a nice week off, and we'll keep you busy for the rest of summer leading up to fall camp. And thank you very much. And for all of our uh, listeners out there, thank you very much for sending us questions, and we'll try to answer them for you as we uh, get closer and closer to this 2010 football season. And, and by the way, I saw the feel uh, still uh, – publication that comes out and that's really the bible of college football i don't know do you ever read that uh, ryan yeah yeah it's good stuff well i i don't know if you've seen one yet because i got one directly from phil they ha- he has in there in the rose bowl iowa and usc in the national championship game he has ohio state oklahoma and i'm not going to tell anybody any more than that okay but uh he obviously thinks USC can win the back 10 So I just thought I'd throw that out there. That's good stuff. All right, a lot of stuff to look forward to for USC fans. So, all right, Coach, thanks again. Thanks to uh, Southern California Tickets for the sponsorship. If you have questions, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk with Dan Weber and Brian Fisher. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to have a little roundtable in this segment of the podcast. We're talking with USCFootball.com's Brian Fisher and Dan Weber. Guys, thanks for joining us. Enjoy it. Thanks to be on, Ryan. All right. Yeah, so we'll have to see how this works. Our little three-way action going on here for the roundtable, but lots of topics to discuss. We talked in the last segment a little bit about putting up a little mini USCfootball.com war room and two of the main topics we want to discuss here on the podcast. One is the NCAA sanctions. Another one is the uh, possible expansion for the Pac-10 and all this forming of the super conferences and stuff. And I guess, Dan, maybe we'll start with you on the sanctions side. It seems like this is finally going to come to a head after all these months and months of speculation. Yeah, I, I, it, there's almost too too much talk. Uh, uh, too much. I mean, I, it, it doesn't seem possible that it would go. It would go any far farther than this, and uh, uh, than this week, actually. Even though all the logistical issues that seem to be the case back here at USC, uh, there are so many people involved. It just seems to be coming out a little bit and a little bit uh, that people are being asked to be ready. Uh, uh, to respond to to whatever happens whenever it happens. I know we're probably at the point where we're thinking it could either be tomorrow or uh, or Friday, but we certainly 
have the sense that USC might be on the clock at this point, uh, looking at the uh, at the report. And I I almost hesitate to even talk about sanctions because we're so out of the loop as to exactly what the report direct you know directly questions and uh, what they have uh, you know evidence about and what have you. And until we know that, it's just so hard to uh, to start coming up with, uh, you know, potential sanctions because what USC is dealing with doesn't really uh, track. If you look at, say, the Alabama case or the Florida State case or the Tennessee case or the Oklahoma case or whatever, it doesn't track uh, track them very well in terms of comparable kinds of, of, of issues. So that's where you start flipping a coin. We might have a feeling that, uh, okay, this might be the time or this is the time frame or this is how it's going to go down. But then when you start saying what exactly is going to go down, that's when I think you just start flipping a coin. Yeah. And that, Brian, you've, yeah. done, you've done a lot of research on this and, and all the whole process. Anything surprised you about what's been going on and, and differences between this case and other cases? I, I mean, you look at the details of some of the other cases and, and just in stark contrast to just about all of them is the time frame it's take. I mean, you know, it's not only been four or five years since the actual uh, accusations came out, but you know, the NCAA has really taken its you know time in researching and interviewing and, and really kind of going through the numbers. And I guess you can read that two ways: one, they're taking their time because they haven't found anything, or two, they're taking their time because they found a lot of stuff. And, uh, and I guess you know, the other way to to, talk, to look at that is. It might take longer to prove a negative, and, and, and it might behoove them at this point, having taken all this time to be able to cross every T and dot every I and say, we looked at this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and we didn't find any connection here. Because uh, when you look at this, this one case, the last, uh, uh, the Alabama textbook case, which is stunning when you look at it, it, and it's, it involved 201 athletes, more than $40,000 that went into their pockets uh, uh, as a result of, a, of some kind of a, 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 you know, a, a scam involving textbooks and, the, you know, the money that they were getting for the textbooks and what have you, and it involved uh, university employees and, and things that, that really you haven't heard any of that kind of thing with the USC case. I know in the public, you know, I, uh, USC is guilty and has done all these things. But when you look at the actual details of some of these cases where you had, you know, at Tennessee tutors uh, taking exams, doing tests, uh, you know, doing actual work for kids, you know, for, and these were university employees, you just don't see any of that here, you know, at the, in USC's case. So it makes it harder to, to come up with, a, you know, a comparison. And USC or the NCAA has put so much pressure on themselves for for taking so long because so many people are waiting. You know that they are waiting for uh, you know massive sanctions for some part of the country, and you know in other parts of the country they're you know waiting for uh, USC to get scot free and, and get a wrist slap. So it, it's really interesting to see you know just the length and, and what is you know what what is the NCAA going to do. Yeah, and that, Dan, you talked about not trying to guess on what the sanctions are, and I, it's true. I mean, I don't think there's been a lot of people speculating, but there really hasn't been a lot of leaks or a lot of information coming out of Indianapolis for this. I think it'll start to happen now that we believe USC has the information there. So now I think there's more people that know, and there'll be some more information leaking out over the next you know, 24 or 48 hours. Whenever I they... think that's a really good point. Yeah, it'd be the first time anything that comes out will be something that maybe somebody actually knows something. I think, you know, what we've seen so far have been a lot of people that almost couldn't have known what, you know, what was going to happen. And, and, and there's a chance now that, that somebody might, you know, might know. Yeah, what we don't know is that circle, the real inner circle of the people on the NCA committee. How tightly do they control that information at this point? Or do they just drop little, you know, hints to people about, you know, just preparing them for, you know, how it's going to go? Uh, that we don't know. And, and, and does, USC's been remarkably closed mouth about this whole thing through this entire process. Does that change in the next couple of days? I don't know. But they've really been good about uh, 
not not tipping their hand in any way at all. It's just kind of amazing. Well, what are the guys? And, what, and I think. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Oh, I think one of the uh, one of the guys on the boards actually brought up a fair point that you know the people that have said that these sanctions are coming out this week or this week or this week have been national guys, and you don't hear anything from you know the local media like you know us or the OC Register or the LA Times that are much more plugged in with the program than some of the national guys. And I, I think if there is going to be any leaks or anything that comes out, it is going to be from the USC side and not the NCAA side. I mean, these are you know a, a group. The Committee on Infractions is a group of you know five or ten people that are, are spread out across the country. They're lawyers. They know what leaks can do. You know, I'm not saying that maybe. One of them is talking to a, a reporter, but I, I just find it highly unlikely anything is going to come out from the NCAA side. That stuff is controlled so tightly. And, and you know, previous cases, we haven't seen leaks at, at all from the NCAA side. It's all come on the school side. So I think when you, when you look at this, you know, if anything's going to come out, uh, you know, you're going to hear about it first in L.A. And you're going to hear uh, not just that, or I guess to look for not just that the report is in, it's, you know, what is in the report. That, I think that'll be the telltale sign that it's really in, is someone saying it's this, you know, coming out, this coming out, and this coming out. Well, let me get both of your thoughts on this. I mean, we, obviously we don't know what's in the report right now, but I think there's some different categories you can look at. This is different than having boosters paying for, you know, someone to come to your school. This is, you know, actually something that was hurting USC because someone was trying to get Reggie Bush to leave school. So it's a little different. I mean, if, if Reggie Bush, if they have evidence on Reggie Bush that, you know, from what Yahoo reported, that he did something illegal or his family did something illegal, took payments, uh, had a house paid for, things like that, that could make him ineligible. Then USC could um, forfeit games and, you, you know, that something like that could happen. But I think the key is, and, you know, let me know if you guys agree, did USC know? Because if USC knew, then it seems like they could punish, instead of punishing just USC in the past for having an ineligible player, you now have something to punish USC for in the future. Do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Not only yeah, could USC have known, should they have known? And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, n- none of us had any sense. Because, for example, I think it was in everybody's interest, Reggie's, uh, depending on how much he knew, his families and the agents, all of their interests not to let anybody at USC have even a hint that any of this was going on or not to let any other agents know that this was going on. I mean, I don't know if you know. We're pretty sure that the, ulti- the original uh, leak and the original tips and the original going public came from agents who were really upset over what their feelings that they didn't have access to Reggie uh, in this whole process. But I think they realized that to get that story out, they needed to attach USC to the story. So uh, originally it was agents, disgruntled agents, who were thinking that they had been shut out of the process of having a chance to get Reggie, and to some extent maybe Matt Leiner. Uh, who really were the ones that this is where the original information kind of, you know, trickled out. So this wasn't about USC. This was about, uh, you know, Reggie and and the agents, uh, essentially. But they knew the only way to make this a big national story was to attach USC to it, which is what, you know, happened in virtually every story ever written about it, you know, since then. Now, the NCAA... you would think would understand, yes, this was not a story ultimately about USC. It was made it made that way, but it, it that wasn't what the original story was. And I would only add that, you know, if the NCAA is looking at, uh, you know, very, you know, as, as a bigger case against USC, which we certainly think it is, um, that they knew about this and this happened and this happened and this happened, and it was a string of incidents. Uh, that occurred under the watch of the athletic department. That's where they're going to get, you know, the biggest penalties. And I think the NCAA has to be very careful in, in maybe linking various cases, you know, you know, this case and this case and this case, because that's where, uh, at least when you talk about grounds for appeals and whatnot, you know, the NCAA is, you know, walking on, uh, you know, unpaved ground because we haven't seen um, them link various, you know, scandals in multiple sports. 
um, outside of like the uh, Alabama textbook case. That was all in the athletic department. This is outside the university, various things occurring outside the university and linking, you know, O.J. Mayo and something that happened in Beverly Hills to Reggie Bush's house, you know, in San Diego. Linking those things is, is something in the NCAA hasn't done in a, in a major infractions case. And so you got to be careful and look at what uh, the connections are in this case. And I think that's where USC kind of contends that, you know, hey, we – how are we supposed to know that these things are going on off campus, um, you know, in San Diego and, you know, up in Hollywood? And, and uh, I think that's where the NCAA has to tread lightly because USC can certainly have a good grounds for appeal if they think that the NCAA wronged them by, by linking various things together. And when you get into basketball or, you know, something in a, you know, some payoff somewhere in Beverly Hills, you have to look at the fact that, Gib Arnold is now the head coach uh, at University of Hawaii. Tim Floyd is the head coach at the University of Texas El Paso with, uh, uh, you know, Phil Johnson as his assistant. So all of these guys immediately went to get other coaching jobs, you know, just like that. I mean, so it would be shocking in the extreme if something comes down on basketball that's really harsh. I, I just you know, they wouldn't be coaching at those places if there was even any thought that something's going to happen that's really going to come down on uh, on basketball. It just doesn't make any sense uh, because it's never happened that way before. If you were a coach, you know, under that kind of a cloud, uh, you didn't get a job right away. And so, you know, whatever that tells us, again, this is – uh, uncharted ground. I mean, we haven't seen a case like this where, you know, a school, uh, you know, self, uh, you know, reports and punishes and the coach leaves and uh, the other coaches are gone and now they're all rehired immediately. Um, uh, again, it's it's not anything we can look at and say, gee, that's like this case. Well, no, there's no other case like this. So what does that mean? I don't know, but you wouldn't think it means that basketball is being set up to be really whacked hard. And Brian, I think a lot of people's perception was that basketball was kind of the sacrificial lamb trying to get the attention off the football program because it's so much more popular than the basketball program. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, I think a lot of people will point to that and say, oh, yeah, they are a sacrificial lamb. But, I mean, you look at what, like Dan was saying, that Tim Floyd doesn't think he's going to get a show-cause penalty. You know, Phil Johnson doesn't think he's going to get a show-cause penalty, and they've already accepted jobs elsewhere. So I think, um, you know, the basketball sanctions, what they did in terms of taking away the postseason last year and scholarship reductions, uh, you know, the next two years, I think they're done. You know, I I don't think there's anything else, and and I don't think that was what the committee was really looking at. I think that the connection with, uh, because USC came out and said, hey, this happened on our watch at the – uh, in, in the basketball program, and so we're going to self-sanction ourselves. Everybody took that as, you know, uh, yeah, it was a sacrificial lamb. But I think in the NCAA's eyes, they're looking at linking that with the football investigation because their ultimate target was the football team because that was even more serious uh, in, in terms, in their eyes, of what they can punish USC with. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't really buy in that they were going to, you know, sacrifice basketball for football just because, you know, they had to do something. They couldn't sit around and, and wait for uh, this five-year-long case and then it comes out and say, oh, you, you know, your basketball team's not going to play in the postseason or three or four scholarships. They had to get out in front of that, um, you know, simply because, you know, they, they were required to. And, and I think well, that, you know, like you said, the, the basketball team, that is done. That's over with. And, and I think the NCAA essentially latched on to basketball to ex- give them time to extend the um, investigation because they didn't just want to let it go. Uh, they didn't think they could let it go. And at this point, the only, probably the only way they could extend it for the, the time that they did until now was to link the two programs and to uh, say that they were looking at the lack of institutional control uh, because it just didn't make any sense to be going over the same ground and the same ground and the same ground for football year after year after year. So I, I think that gave the NCAA a little breathing room by 
you know, atta- you know, attaching the two programs into a, a institution, lack of institutional control investigation, and USC then answered that by, uh, and it doesn't have to be such a cynical, you know, that they were, you know, sacrificing basketball, that they just said, you know, this was not something we did right, and here, here's what we're going to do about it. But, uh, but I think the NCAA probably uh, instigated USC's response uh, in the way it, it happened because of the linking of the two programs, because the NCAA needed more time to figure out what do we do with this investigation? Where does it go? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. Well, I think the good thing is we should know something within the next couple of days. Or, Who oh, knows? Man. Maybe it'll be three weeks from now, but it looks like it's going to be happening. So uh, we can finally put this story to bed. But the, the funny thing is... We're we have, making, what we want to say, though, is unlike ESPN, we are not making any predictions. We're no. just saying <laughs> it looks like it. This is what we think we know, but we really don't know. We just... Right. We can tell you what we know, but we're not making any predictions. No, no, that that's very true. But okay, so and, and it, it's not over when they announce it either. You know, this is going to continue to drag out, especially if uh, USC does, you know wants to appeal the uh, the ruling. So this is this is certainly not over. So we got plenty more time to discuss it. Don't there is up. a relatively cynical overview about how that works that some people have said. Uh, maybe in the works where the uh, infractions committee whacks them and the appeals committee on infractions takes them away. It certainly happened in Oklahoma, the Oklahoma case, for example. And there are others who say, absolutely not. These two committees don't have the slightest idea what the other one is doing or care, or they never think about that thought, which I would kind of agree that it's probably not that cynical. But there are those who say, that the infractions committee can say, well, we tried, we did our job, and the uh, appeals committee uh, can say, eh, no, you guys went a little too far. And so it's like a two-step process. I hope that's not the yeah. case, but I guess it's always a possibility. That's well, they you- are, are very they are two very separate committees, and they're separate members. They, you, you know, it is the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. Uh, in this case. And for an appeal, it's very specific um, causes that the university will challenge, uh, basically saying that uh, the you know, Committee on Infractions didn't follow the real letter of the law in this case, in this case, in this case, um, that the penalties did not apply or take into account um, certain actions that the university did, like self-sanctions, or that it, you know, the university feel that hurts current athletes too much. You know, the grounds for appeal are very, very narrow, and that's why you you rarely see big infraction rulings overturned in the appeals committee, the notable exception being Oklahoma in the last couple of years. All right. Well, don't rain on my parade, guys. I just want this to be over. So we'll uh, we'll see what goes on. We should know a lot more, at least, coming up pretty soon. But there's a segue into the other biggest story going on. I mean, these are two of the biggest stories of the college football year, and they're happening that could be happening all at the same time with the uh, the emergence of potential super conferences all over the place, and uh, you know, it, you know, Nebraska. There's been reports that Nebraska was going to be joining the Big Ten by the end of the the end of the week, kind of similar timeline to when we think the sanctions and stuff would be handed yeah, down. Yeah, I think, and that came out of Nebraska as a result of other Big Twelve schools saying so. So, if that's the case one would think that that may be, you know, the first and, you know, in effect, in this case, the first shoe that drops might be the whole whole game. I mean, it might, you yeah. know, explain why Colorado is, uh, uh, you know, going to be offered by the Pac-10 and uh, get in first because they might be the one that was the, you know, the shakiest in terms of uh, having the Texas people organizing against them. But, but if those guys are moving, uh, Nebraska, Missouri, uh, then maybe the theory that Notre Dame had to make the first move uh, is, not the, uh, is not the controlling theory, that, that Notre Dame is going to wait. I think Notre, Dame, I think Notre Dame has to wait just because it's Notre Dame. I, I just don't think Notre Dame can jump to the Big, the big Ten, the big whatever it's going to be, 
at this point. I think Notre Dame waits uh, to see how solid the super conferences are and then then makes its move. Uh, it's not going to go first. Well, let's just set this up I, first. I, uh, I, look, look, like Nebraska, there's reports coming out that Nebraska could leave for the Big Ten. I mean, there was speculation about Nebraska and Missouri. Um, the whole point is the Big 12 is the conference getting pilfered. The Pac-10 was going after six of the Big 12 schools, most of them from the Big 12 South, would, you know, Texas being the key. But it seems like the first domino to fall could really just start everything going, this, be, this avalanche effect. And like we said, Nebraska could be that team. If they leave, then it looks like gloom and doom for the Big 12, and I think it's going to cause a lot of other scrambling. And if you're a Pac-10 fan that wants to see a Pac-16, that could be the best thing to happen for the Pac-10 because – that would mean that the other schools could get shaky. They could feel uncertain about their future and, and join with the Pac-10. But just kind of set that up for you. That's kind of the scenario. There's a lot of different scenarios that could happen. I mean, nothing could happen. But it looks like the first domino is about to fall this week. And if that does, it just could be the most cataclysmic events from, you know, bowl conferences ever, probably. What do you think, Brian? I'll go ahead. I think the thing all... you know, Texas. Texas. Oh, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. Well, I, you know, I, I just I think all of this, you know, does rest on Nebraska making the first move because, you know, no matter what, Notre Dame's not going to get left out. And I, I think, you know, the Big Ten covets Notre Dame so much that they're going to keep an open spot for them. You know, I, I, I think that they might have a backup plan with like a Rutgers or something like that in case Notre Dame says, yeah, well, we're still thinking it over and it just takes too long and they have to make a move. But I, I just I can't see them, you know, staying out on the sidelines, and then once Nebraska leaves, then, then it comes down to Texas and if they want to leave. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, certainly our rival sister site, orangebloods.com, has done a fantastic job reporting on what Texas has done. And, and I think, you know, talking to a pe- some people around a and I, I think that they hate to be kind of the people following Texas, but they're going to end up following Texas to wherever they go um, just because of their, their link so closely and, you know, the real interesting issue to me, I guess, is say Nebraska makes the move to the Big Ten, Notre Dame follows with a few other schools, the Pac-10 goes to 16. You know, who's that 16th team in the in, in the Pac-10? That to me is the biggest question. You know, is it going to be Baylor? Is it going to be Colorado? Is, is Oklahoma State going to get left out? Texas Tech? You know, we've heard reports that Texas has a tech problem. You know, where do they go? Uh, you know, that to me is the probably the Interesting question that we'll have to get sorted out over the next couple of days, and probably it might be the last domino fall, but it might be the one that takes the longest. Well, you know, I think the question is um, the, the issue for Texas is preserving the Big 12 so they can set up their uh, own TV package for Texas. As soon as Nebraska moves or Missouri, whichever, uh, that's over. So Texas can't do that. And now Texas has, what's their next best move? It would certainly look like, by far, their next best move is to be the dominant program in the eastern half of the pack, you know, 16. That that 18 group there just makes all the sense in the world. And all the other affiliations, because Texas knew that, for example, for TV purposes, they had to upgrade their schedule. And that does that, the ability to, to – because uh, they've certainly been talking to the Pac-10 about a scheduling uh, uh, cooperation to begin with. So this puts them in that position, and it doesn't change their basic, you know, schedules and all of that for their uh, uh, all their other sports because you're, you're, you're geographically pretty, uh, you know, pretty close. They still have to come to Arizona once a year and probably one other Pac-10 place in football. But that's, you know, that's not that, you know, that much. And I, I think what's going to happen at the other end of it is uh, I think Colorado is going to jump in to the Pac-10 fairly quickly. And at that point, uh, basically you got Oklahoma State and, and Baylor fighting for the last spot. And I just think nobody's going to care that much, whichever way it goes. You know, my guess would probably be Oklahoma State gets in there over Baylor, unless Baylor has some kind of hold on the Texas legislature that can do something to those, uh, uh, you know, to those uh, other three state 
schools from Texas, but I just can't imagine that. I don't think the Pac-10 is going to, you know, the Pac-10 wasn't going to take BYU, as we were talking about, and BYU's got a whole lot more national following and a lot more solid program, and it does a lot more for you broadcasting-wise than uh, Baylor does. And so uh, I think if I were Baylor, I'd be a little nervous. I'd be trying to figure out where my next spot is, but I, I, I would that it's a, a kind of a hard deal for Baylor to follow. And I think if you're talking the Big Ten, if they get Missouri and Nebraska to go to 13, it, it would make a lot of sense then they get, you know, Pittsburgh and Rutgers. And Pittsburgh's right on the border, basically, of, of Big Ten country. Rutgers gets them into the New York TV market. Now they're at 15. And then they go to South Bend and say, boys, you're number 16. Let's go. And I don't see how Notre Dame cannot go at that point uh, as the 16th team in the in the big whatever. Well, this is all driven by television revenue, and the Big Ten's in a good position because they have the network. It's been successful. They're making $20 million per school, where Pac-10 schools are making 8 to 10, things like that. It's very similar numbers for the Big 12. So I think those schools know they kind of have to do something. Texas is strong enough on their own, like you said, to have their own TV network. I think the Big Ten, the Big 12 would allow them to do that if they could keep the Big 12 together. I don't think the Pac-10 would allow them to do that, but they could still make a lot more money being part of a Pac-16 or whatever that, you know, whatever you want to call network there. You know what else it does for Texas? It, it puts them in a place where they're in with Stanford and Cal and uh, USC and UCLA and even Washington in terms of really big-time, world-class, research universities and texas isn't with anybody right now you know and, and if they go to the sec there's really nobody I mean, they're the only place in the country that texas can go to uh to be with other like-minded schools is is the pac-10 i mean it's the only other place uh, that has the kind of program that texas has and that they would aspire to and i think that actually is going to matter i think that will be a factor that, that Texas is, is really proud of being uh, the kind of academic institution it is. And, and I think that will, uh, in some ways, uh, help carry the day, you know, for, for how this goes down. I completely agree, Dan. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm pretty close to Texas, Texas A&M, and, and those schools. And, you know, I think academics is, is kind of lost in a shuffle, and, you know, when you talk about conference expansion, because, you know, that's why they said they don't want to go to the SEC. It's because of the academic, you know, uh, reputation of those schools. And, you know, when you look at Texas and at Texas A&M, you look at the programs that they have. You know, these are, you know, a lot of top ten programs in those universities, especially at Texas. And, you know, and they and want you're to be probably right. I think we probably Stanford. don't give Texas A&M the credit they should get because I think the Texas people kind of don't want to give them <laughs> give them the credit that is a major, you know, research institution nationally, but they are really a big deal too. Absolutely. Especially in a state where the governor is Nike. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So now we've talked about the expansion part. I've, I was on a couple of radio interviews and they're like, what should the name of the conference be? And I, you know, obviously PAC 16 is a possibility, but if you're getting schools like Texas in the mix, I don't know if that's going to work. Have to be something Western or something. I'm not sure, but you're having, and the other factor, you can maybe comment on both of these things, both of you guys. There's three major states in this country for high school recruiting, Florida, Texas, and California. And you would have one conference that basically dominated two of those. I mean, I, I think that could be a recruiting boom for the entire conference. But comment on both of those things, you guys. Dan, you first. Well, you know, that you're absolutely right. And I think that's got the people, you know, if you look at the response from the pe- people in um, – the SEC country, they're really nervous about that. Dan, yeah, I, think yeah, I completely them, agree. It's got them going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it should. What do you think, Brian? Should, I, mean, I think at, we'll have yeah, a choice. Like... Go ahead, Brian. Oh, well, you look at a school like Colorado or, you know, that, that heavily recruits you know, California and, and Texas. And then you also could add in, you know, a, a program like Oregon State that has gone into Texas a couple times and gotten players like the, the Rogers brothers. It is going to open up more avenues for programs, you know, maybe a Cal or, 
you know, a Washington to go into Texas and get a few players. And, you know, the talent base in Texas is already, you know, being pilfered by, you know, or uh, Oklahoma and, and Oklahoma State. And, you know, it, you know, Texas might be a little nervous about that, but, you know, I think they're pretty secure in what they can do in state. But it, it is going to open up some doors, uh, you know, for the Big 12 schools in California. And I, I think I, heard, I saw Bob Stoops come out today. He said he was really excited about, you know, expansion if it happens because it would would allow him to come into California and get some more athletes. And you know, I think if you're if you're a high school athlete in the next, you know, making a decision in the next, you know, two or three years, I, I think you you don't really concern yourself with location as much as you would have in the past because you know what you're going to be playing in Texas and California and being on national TV every week if this you know mega conference actually happens. Right. Oh. And you know, I think the thing that the, the, the negative part of it is if you're the Southeastern Conference and you, you know, occasionally you come out this way and try to recruit, I think for kids out here, if they don't stay here, they're going to go to the Texas way. For example, if they're going to leave California, they're still, they can leave the area, go to a big-time program, and yet still be in the same conference, still be in the same competitive situation, still have the folks back here i mean i you know kept up with one of the kids uh from uh from you know the riverside area who went to alabama and it's like he left the face of the earth even to alabama as good as that program was uh you know prince hall pretty much just dropped out of sight and uh this way you could be a california kid and go to one of those uh, uh schools in in texas and still it would be like you're still you know in the pac-10 and that will really, I think, shut the door a little bit on the Southeastern Conference schools and maybe even the Big Ten a little bit or a Notre Dame coming out here. I think it actually is a net plus in a lot of ways, uh, you know, for the, you know, the, the new whatever Pac-16 conference is. I think it will really help keep kids within the conference at the very least. Uh, and, and, you know, kids will not as much think about going to uh, – Big Ten teams or big or SEC teams, I, I just don't think it'll happen. I don't think you'll see many California kids going to Florida, for example, uh, uh, the state of Florida. I think you know they it just isn't going to happen as much if if this happens. All right, all good points. Well, guys, last thought: any good names? What do you think about names? Somebody said the pack slack. You know the. The Pac Swack, the no, I'm just, uh, but the Pac West is, uh, I think, a possibility. Although, was that the name of a bank or something? I don't know. <laughs> but the, the Pac West, uh, I don't know. Well, I, I heard a good suggestion on the board of Tupac. Tupac. <laughs> there you go. I kind of like that one. Or you know, or maybe Larry Scott does some sort of naming thing. You know, like Pac Bell, or you know, you know, like Dan said, Pac West. Uh, I, I kind of would love to see uh, the revival of the uh, Southwestern Conference name. You know, that, you know, I grew up with you know the SWC, and you know, that that would certainly be bring back a few memories if they kind of brought back that. Or, I wonder, yeah, yeah, could I they go Pack Southwest? Pack. Could you go with Pack Southwest and uh, get both I mean, of them in there? I think, you know, they they probably haven't thought. They, you know, I don't know. You know, Scott, Larry Scott's a, a marketing guy. Maybe he has thought the name through. I'm sure. And, and that, that, that might be part of the selling point for Texas schools. Like that, I'm not going. I'm Texas. I'm not going to be part of the pack. You know, you know what? I'm thinking creative artist agency probably has six guys working on that right now. <laughs> don't you think? Huh? I uh, I would definitely agree. With Earning that. their money, uh-huh. <laughs> walking up and down Wilshire Boulevard, asking people what what name the conference ought to be. Uh, I don't know. The Southwestern Pack. The Southwestern Pack. I don't know. Mm. Because it's not just Southwest, though. You got to be like total West, I would think. Yeah, you got to get to the Pacific. So, because uh, you got the Pacific Northwest and and all of that. So, I think you got to have both of them in there somehow. Uh, but uh, you know, Pack Southwest, I think, has got a chance. But uh, we will see. I don't know. Maybe they'll get rid of numbers once you get up to sixteen. I think the numbers are getting a little nutty, but. <laughs> You know, we'll exactly. No, I think the numbers go by the wayside uh, completely. I mean, they had no validity anyway. I, 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 when I covered the uh, Big Ten, and I was there the first day Bobby Knight showed up at a, a Big Ten media day, 
to com- to comment on the Big Eleven, and it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, I mean, he just because he he did he did ever want to go to those anyway, and uh, he took every chance he could to na- you know to just jab the uh, people running the pa- the Big Ten. <laughs> but when it, by the time it became the Big Eleven, he just went on this tirade about the name of that of their, of their conference, uh, and uh, I think he's probably right at this point because uh, you know they they crafted the logo so that it said Big Ten, but then in the outline they had the number 11 yeah. <laughs> uh, in the background. And people, I think, were past that. I, that's just silly. All right. Well, guys, thanks very much. It was an interesting roundtable and a lot of good stuff there. And uh, keep checking back on uscfootball.com. We'll keep putting stuff up there all about all these subjects. But thanks, Dan, for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. Enjoyed it, as always. And thanks, Brian, for joining us. Great to be on. All right, everyone else, we'll talk to you again next week. This is the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.